This is Dr. Edward Gaber. I have a solo practice for 700 patients in Louisiana, and I am a hospitalist 14 nights a month at a Mississippi hospital. I want to discuss mainly in this segment the initial evaluation of chest pain in the office or emergency room. Chest pain in patients can be very challenging. As a student one day, I was told by my professor that human communication is the most dangerous thing in the world. Taking an accurate history from patients can be very difficult, and errors occur, especially if you jump to conclusions or put words in the patient's mouths by asking leading questions and by not doing a complete physical, of course. However, one of the joys of being a physician is the Sherlock Holmes aspect of figuring out the diagnosis from many different, often conflicting clues. Another fun part is finding the oddball or esoteric diagnosis. For example, I saw a young executive in my office many years ago. He was complaining of severe chest pain. And as he removed his white shirt to be examined, I noticed a puss caterpillar fall out. How about that for a great diagnosis that day? Actually, statistics show only about 3% of patients who come to a medical office with chest pain have chest pain from coronary artery disease at that time. But that is no reason to ignore the most minor chest pain. When I first went into practice in 1975, a 41-year-old smoker, a new patient, told me he had had sharp localized and brief chest pain as his commercial flight was landing in the New Orleans airport a few weeks prior. He had had no chest pain since. I did an EKG right then and it was stone cold normal. But as I didn't have a treadmill in my office at that time, I scheduled him for a stress test at the hospital. We were able to get a scheduled appointment for two days later. But tragically that night, I got a call from the emergency room that he'd had a major heart attack. I've taken even minor chest pain since that time very seriously. Most localized sharp chest pain, however, is musculoskeletal. It usually is a tender area, dime-sized at the costochondral junction where the ribs meet the breastbone. This is called costochondritis. It can also be from a tender xiphoid bone at the lower tip of the sternum or at the edge of the lower ribs, revealed by hooking the fingers below the lower ribs and pulling upward. It can be radicular pain coming around from the back, diagnosed by pressing hard on the thoracic spine facets one inch to the side of the thoracic spine. This is called facet syndrome and causes nerve irritation. With musculoskeletal chest pain, the patient may have been lifting up a grandchild, twisting or bending over, or had some trauma recently to the chest wall. Don't ignore the possibility of domestic violence or elder abuse. A rib fracture can cause severe persistent localized chest pain and tenderness and may not be seen on x-ray for 10 days. Cervical radiculopathy, secondary to pinched nerves in the neck, may cause upper chest pain without neck pain or lateral arm pain or numbness. The Hoffman's reflex or the Sperling test as seen on YouTube can be very helpful. 
Patients with fibromyalgia, diagnosed often with tender trigger points in the trapezius muscles, can have anterior musculoskeletal chest pain. Herpes zoster can cause radicular chest pain. Look for the rash radiating around in a dermatome distribution from the back. Cardiovascular chest pain. Angina is often gradual in onset. It can be at rest or on exertion and last 20 to 30 minutes usually, unless it has become a heart attack. It can be relieved by nitroglycerin, but just because it is relieved by nitroglycerin does not mean for sure that it is angina. A heart attack may be accompanied by sweating, nausea, shortness of breath, faintness of palpitations, or not. The pain from angina or heart attack often is across the chest or left-sided or occasionally right-sided and may radiate to the anterior or posterior neck, jaw, shoulders, or inner arms. I saw a patient whose angina only manifests with severe posterior neck pain on exertion and no chest pain. If a patient is older, has a past or present smoking history, a history of dyslipidemia, hypertension, diabetes, or first-degree non-smoker relative with coronary artery disease, that patient is suspect for coronary artery disease pain or acute coronary syndrome. ACS, or acute coronary syndrome, is one of three things, unstable angina, NSTEMI, or non-ST segment elevation myocardial infarction, or STEMI, ST segment elevation myocardial infarction. Serial EKGs and serial troponin and CKMB blood tests help decide the diagnosis. The biotin vitamin can artificially lower the troponin, but many non-cardiac causes raise the troponin level. Older patients, female patients, Diabetics with neuropathy especially may present with shortness of breath on exertion or, quote, weakness, quote, on exertion or fatigue on exertion or palpitations or faintness and no chest pain. If a patient has been doing methamphetamine or cocaine, which causes coronary artery spasm, suspect coronary artery disease chest pain. I saw a patient 28 years old with a heart attack after smoking marijuana. Young age should not make a physician eliminate the diagnosis of coronary artery disease. I've seen many women in their mid-30s arrive at the emergency room with a heart attack. I saw a 13-year-old with angina. She had congenital absence of a coronary artery. There are also patients with Prince metal angina with intermittent, unprovoked coronary artery spasm seen on EKG or Holter monitor only during the brief time of the chest pain or seen on left hard cath with catheter provocation of the artery. Patients with pulmonary hypertension can have chest pain. Patients with aortic stenosis or mitral stenosis can have exertional chest discomfort. 
mitral valve patients really complain of sharp transient chest pains. Patients with Takotsobu cardiomyopathy may have chest pain with stress, and patients with regular, ordinary congestive heart failure will often complain of chest tightness with their shortness of breath. Pericarditis, pericarditis with or without tamponade with fluid around the heart and distended neck veins and pulsus paradoxicus often have sharp pleuritic chest pain improved with leaning forward. Virus, autoimmune disease, kidney failure with uremia and cancer may cause pericarditis. Colchicine can help viral pericarditis. Myocarditis, an inflammatory disease of the heart muscle, can cause chest pain and even elevated troponin. A patient of mine called me at 5 p.m. one day many years ago. He told me he was just discharged from the coronary care unit at a rural hospital after observation for severe chest pain. On discharge, they told him there was nothing wrong with him, but he was still having chest pain, so he called me to ask my advice. I remembered he had an aortic insufficiency murmur and asked him if his chest pain went into his back. It did. I told him I needed to admit him immediately. That night, he was successfully operated on for a dissecting aortic aneurysm of the ascending aorta, John Ritter's disease. He sent me many new patients from his small town for 20 years after that. Pulmonary causes of chest pain. Asthma. Asthma patients often complain of chest tightness. On auscultation, wheezing can be heard, but often wheezing is not heard and very diminished breath sounds are present. Pleurisy. Pleurisy is pain from the outer lining of the lung and hurts when you take a little breath. Pleurisy can be viral or autoimmune or secondary to lung cancer with a pleuritic component or secondary to bacterial pneumonia with pleurisy. The chest pain is often severe as the outer lining of the lung, the pleura, is sensitive to as your eye. It is called devil's grip when caused by the Coxsackie virus. Pulmonary emboli. Pulmonary emboli can be life-threatening. There is often pleuritic chest pain, low oxygen levels, and a fast heart beat, but not necessarily any of these. Sudden syncope or fainting can be a pulmonary embolus. Deep vein thrombosis in the leg can sometimes be found, but more often than not, it is not present. The pulmonary embolus can happen after a long car trip or a long plane trip when the barometric pressure is low and may predispose to deep vein thrombosis, especially if the flights are over eight hours. The pulmonary, a pulmonary embolus can occur after straining its stool. Obesity, patients over 65, patients with congestive heart failure or cancer, 
patients on birth control pills or postmenopausal estrogen replacement therapy or pregnant patients are predisposed to pulmonary emboli. Post-op patients, especially orthopedic surgery patients, are predisposed. Patients with recent even minor trauma to the legs and patients with antiphospholipid syndrome, Leiden factor, factor II mutation, antithrombin-3 deficiency, protein S or protein C deficiency, or family history of coagulation disorders are predisposed. The rare patient with PNH or paroxysmal maternal hemoglobinuria with polycythemia vera or with essential thrombocytosis is predisposed. A CT of the chest is the best way to find pulmonary emboli, but acute or chronic kidney disease may not allow us to use iodinated contrast to do the CTA. And a nuclear BQ scan may be worthless if the patient has pulmonary infiltrates. If the patient has pulmonary infiltrates and kidney disease, and both these conditions prevent the absolute diagnosis, empiric therapy with heparin is indicated. Thrombolytic therapy is typically reserved for patients with massive pulmonary emboli, resulting in hemodynamic instability with hypotension and a systolic blood pressure less than 90, or a decrease in systolic blood pressure greater than 40 from baseline, or respiratory distress with oxygen saturations less than 90% on 4 liters a minute of nasal O2, or respiratory rate greater than 40. Spontaneous pneumothorax. Spontaneous pneumothorax when the lung blows out with sudden shortness of breath and pleurisy. Chest pain, especially if the tension pneumothorax occurs with hypotension and rapid heart beating. Acute chest syndrome is another cause of chest pain with infiltrates from sickle cell disease. Anxiety, panic attacks, hyperventilation syndrome causes chest pain, but we cannot ignore the fact there may be coexisting coronary artery disease. Gastrointestinal causes of chest pain. Many dead on arrival patients showing up in the emergency room told their wives they had been having, quote, indigestion. But there are many causes of chest pain from the GI tract. One of them is esophagitis, secondary to hiatal hernia and gastrointestinal reflux, and occasionally, quote, nutcracker esophagus with severe chest pain from esophageal spasm. Boerhaave syndrome with esophageal perforation causes excruciating chest pain from the uh, perforation of the esophagus with forceful vomiting. Mallory-Weiss syndrome of the esophagus with forceful vomiting results in esophageal tearing and bloody vomitus. Esophageal food bolus obstruction causes severe pain with excessive drooling with the inability to swallow saliva and supersalivation. Esophagitis itself can be caused from fungus, eosinophilic esophagitis, secondary to food allergy, AIDS-related cytomegalovirus, as well as reflux. Esophageal ulcers 
erosive esophagitis, Barrett's esophagitis, and esophageal cancer with or without obstruction can cause chest pain. Gallbladder disease can cause chest pain. I saw an obese lady in my office as a new patient several years ago. She had suffered with intermittent chest pain for 10 years. On physical exam, she had a positive Murphy sign with tenderness on palpation in the right upper quadrant when she took a deep breath. After a a, um, cholecystectomy, she had no further chest pain. Chronic cholecystitis can cause chest pain without right upper quadrant pain. I hope this discussion has been helpful. Please do not ignore your own chest pain and if it's severe, have someone bring you to the emergency room or call an ambulance and never assume it's, quote, indigestion. Please do not take any of this discussion or suggestions to heart without first checking with your primary care doctor or subspecialist.